Take your Bibles, if you would, uh, and open up to Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be doing Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 8. So uh, kind of just a very short scripture reading for the passage uh, that we're doing uh, tonight. Uh, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, this is one of those, those passages where what, what is given to us, what is called a blessing here from God, from Christ, uh, isn't something that's natural to us. Of course, you, you could probably say all of that about, uh, you could probably say that about all of the, uh, the Beatitudes here, but I, but I think particularly, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, uh, we should recognize right away we are sinners. I mean, that, that is just foundational to understanding uh, the gospel. So how can this be a blessing uh, for the believer, for the individual? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have a pure heart, I am clean from sin? And, and the implication there of the proverb is, no one can really say this. So how is it that, that Jesus can say, blessed are people who are pure at heart, uh, when nobody really is pure at heart? Uh, it's the same kind of tension we see later on in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, how are we going to do that? We, we can't actually accomplish that. Um, I think a lot of times when, when we think about purity of heart and we think about God's standard, what, what ends up happening is we, we lower the requirements of what that looks like so we can all kind of think to ourselves, well, you know, I can get pretty close. Uh, even as Christians sometimes we, we can be, uh, the, the danger is sort of thinking, well, I can get to the point where, where I have arrived. And there are certain views of, of sanctification and the growth in the Christian life that will say that, you know, you can get to a point where for the whole day I haven't sinned, you know, or the whole week, or I haven't, it, we, we call it Christian perfectionism. It's, it's not correct, but that's what they call their view. This kind of like, I can be so mature in my Christian walk, so sanctified, I can kind of arrive uh, at, at some sort of at least nominal perfection uh, in my life. Then you have this, this idea, the, the pure in heart will, will see God. And we need to remember, wh- who is God? God is holy. We read Isaiah 6 this morning, and you think of how Isaiah sees the perfection of the Lord, seeing the, the glory of God radiate down uh, the train of his robe into, into the temple where Isaiah goes into. And, and you think about Isaiah standing before God, saying, Woe am, am I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then we, we remember, okay, well, no one can see God. So it's like, well, how then, how is this a blessing? Blessed are the pure in heart, because only the pure in heart are going to see God. And, and the question is, what, what do we do with this? Um, first, I think we need to ask the question, what is purity of heart? If, if you're just, just looking at this, coming to this verse fresh this evening, when someone, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, what pops into your mind? What is purity of heart? I got, I got time. I mean, if you want to. 
what, what would you say? Come on, this is... 9944 and 9944. <laughs> 9944. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were giving the gospel to somebody and, and, and they said, well, I'm a pretty good person, what, what would you say? I mean, you know, we need to be pure. What, what is pure? What is purity of heart? Nobody wants to, to risk it. All right, well, purity of heart means uh, integrity, uprightness. Another way we could talk about it is, is the undivided heart. So you have, you have purity on a couple different levels, if you will. In Scripture, sometimes in the Old Testament, you have, uh, you have uh, purity, ceremonial purity. So, so you have these animals that you can't take in uh, that, that you know that have blemishes on them, and you can't offer them in sacrifices. And we, we look at the book of Leviticus, and we go, "Why are all these silly rules here? I, I just don't get it." But but even with all of these ceremonial laws, it gives you a sense of what does purity really look like. Uh, now it gives it to you in a ceremonial sense, but you think about you think about taking in the lamb. So you couldn't take in a lamb that has even even the slightest blemish, even even the slightest um, defect uh, on it. You know, it has some sort of injury, some sort of broken leg, some sort of uh, discoloration. Uh, any minor infraction, if you will, becomes a, a violation of its ceremonial purity. And so you begin to, to apply that to uh, ourselves and, and you think about holiness. You think of not, not ceremonial holiness, right? But, but moral holiness, uh, purity. The, the, you, you can think, you know, you, you watch the TV commercials, you know, buy the water filter, and what does it advertise? You know, you put the water through here, and it comes out what? Uh, pure. Don't they have some of them that are called pure something, something? You know, uh, they, they put that in their name because the idea is we've filtered out all the, even, even though most people, the water they're putting in there is decent to drink, the idea is we've filtered out all the extra stuff. Now it's now it's really good water. And, and so you, you think even in, in those terms, you know, we're, we're not talking about, uh, you know, every heart has corruption, um, but we're not saying, well, there's the really bad stuff and then everybody's pure. It's, it's saying, no, it's got to be complete, uh, undivided, unadulterated, um, un, um, uh, my mind just went blank. I had another one in there. But, but, but it can't have compromises in it. It has to be entirely pure. Uh, you think about poison, and if you put even just one drop of water, uh, of poison in water, and, and the whole thing is, is polluted. The whole thing uh, is corrupted. And this is what you think about when you think, should think about purity and even the corrupting uh, effects of sin. Psalm 24 says this, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the salvation of his God. Uh, in biblical thinking, the heart is not the center of emotions, but, but the center of the whole self. It's, it's saying that I need to be pure. All of me. The, the core of who I am. It has to flow from purity. 
which is something we don't have. And of course, uh, Jesus mocks the Pharisees and, and rebukes the Pharisees because what do they do? They, they clean the outside of the cup. Uh, you think about all the ceremonial washings uh, that the, the Pharisees would have done. And, and believe me, when they wa- did ceremonial washings, they, they certainly washed the inside of the cup. But this is the point that Jesus is getting at. Your lack of purity from the inside flowing outward into your actions would be just like you wiped down the outside of the cup and drank from it when it's dirty. Kind of like, you know, when your kids do the dishes and they quickly wipe it and they put it back and you you look at it and you pull it down and you're like, there's crusty stuff in here. And you say to them, this isn't clean. It's the same way uh, when Scripture's speaking. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, according to the general scriptural usage of the term, the heart means the center of the personality. It does not mean merely the seat of affections or emotions. This beatitude is not a statement to the effect that the Christian faith is something primarily emotional, not intellectual or pertaining to the will, not at all. The heart in Scripture includes all three. It is the center of the person's being and personality. It is the fount out of which everything else comes. It includes the mind. It includes the will. Uh, Another commentator says, the heart is, quote, the real or true self, the psyche at the deepest level. So like in America, we say, you know, follow your heart. And and typically what we sort of mean is, you know, maybe do what what feels best to you, follow your emotions. You know, when when people are falling in love, we sometimes, hopefully not, but, but people will still say, well, follow your heart, do what it tells you. You know, one, that's bad advice, but two, we, we often think in terms of the heart being just the emotional side of things. Well, in biblical thinking, the heart really is, is just, it, it's getting at the core of who I am. And, and the, the core of who I am needs to be pure. It needs to not be defiled from sin. Uh, meaning, also, it'll manifest itself in how we practice things. So, the psalm had said, we need clean hands and a pure heart. Well, well, when the heart is clean, the actions that flow from it uh, will be clean uh, before God. So I need to be pure. You think of in Old Testament Israel, over and over again, Moses tells them in Deuteronomy, circumcise your heart. So the other imagery, not so much of purity and, and impurity, is is being dead versus being alive. Israel often having this heart of stone. And, and so this idea of circumcising your heart is this idea of cut out the, the deadness in your heart. You need a, a revived heart, an alive heart. It's, it's different metaphors and different imagery, but, but I think at the end of the day, it's really describing the same thing. And why is it over and over again Israel gets herself into trouble in the Old Testament, because her heart has wandered from God. She, she walks away. If there's one good thing about the Old Testament, besides, obviously, all the promises of Christ, it, it continually shows us that even the people of God continually sin. I mean, you know, if anything should make us humble, you, you look at how Israel is, and they've got the Word of God, and they've got all the covenants, so they've got God revealing Himself to them, and what do they do? They still walk away. 
it, it should be a reminder to us, even as believers, like don't fall into that trap. So Jesus, and I've already begun to mention this, Jesus wants our out inside to be pure, not just our outside. So he says uh, in Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Uh, you can think, you can again find this in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesying. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. By the way, this is Isaiah chapter 1. I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourself and make yourself clean. Remove the evil deeds. Uh, remove your evil deeds from my heart. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the, uh, the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Deuteronomy 10.16, Moses says, Circumcise your, the foreskin of your heart and that you may no longer be stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner and gives him food and clothing. So what does there, what does the unhardened heart look like? Uh, the same thing that you see in, in Isaiah, this do things that are in line with the character of God. The, the pure heart is to be the heart that aligns uh, with God and, and God's character and the way that He uh, acts. Jeremiah 4.4 4, Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your heart, O men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil deeds. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you. So here, this idea of of cleansing your heart, washing it, getting it pure, that you might not have these wicked thoughts uh, within you. Then the verse I think we're probably all familiar with in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So on the one hand, we have these commands, you know, circumcise our hearts, wash our hearts, uh, we need to be clean. On the other hand, we know that, that none of us can do this. Um, th- this isn't about trying to fix our lives and improve ourselves and make myself better. I can't clean up who I am. And I, I think this is one of the, the biggest struggles, particularly, I think, sometimes as Americans, is this idea of self-sufficiency. This idea that that if something's wrong, I can fix it. I can put my life back together. I can uh, just behave more. I will just try a, a little harder. Uh, I'll just try to be good before God. And, and I know I maybe won't get to 100%, but, but God will grade on a curve, right? Have you ever encountered people that sort of think like that? Uh, they know they're sinners. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. I get it. I've done, I've done a few wrong things but I've been trying really hard, and, and won't God give me extra credit for trying? You know, that, that's not how the holiness of God works. It, it's not, well, you know, you couldn't be righteous before me, but you tried really hard, therefore I'll, I'll, I'll grade on a curve. And sometimes people treat their faith in Jesus like that. Like faith is something that I offer to God, and he rewards it. Faith is the act of, of trust. 
And in faith in Jesus, I am trusting his work for salvation. And, and he is giving me a gift. Faith is not something that I do that God rewards. Now, we need faith to receive the gift. The gift doesn't come apart from us exercising faith in Christ. But God doesn't look at our faith and say, well, you didn't have the righteousness that I needed. You didn't have the purity of heart that you really should have. So I'll count your faith as if you were pure. I'll, I'll grade your faith on a curve. Rather, faith is this looking to Christ and saying, I am not pure. And I need the work of Christ. Please wash me and forgive me. So you're, you're abandoning yourself in your act of faith and you're trusting Christ. You're not saying, well, look at me, Jesus. I'm trusting you. Doesn't that count for something? Do you understand the distinction there? It's, it's a really fine line, but we've got we've to be careful to draw it, I think. So how do we get the purity of heart that we need? This is like basic Sunday school answer. This this is not a trap question. How do we get the purity of heart that we need? Yeah, from Jesus. The whole promise of, of the new covenant is that God will wash and cleanse hearts. That God will put a new heart and, and part of what Jesus is doing, we, remember we talked about these, these blessings, and, and I'm, I'm trying to get out of the habit of not saying the same thing every week, but, but these blessings are not things that people do to get in the kingdom. They're, they're good things that overflow from God. They're things that God blesses us with because the person has been repentant, because the person has trusted. These are characteristics that manifest themselves in the citizens of the kingdom. They're they're blessings of of the future glories of God that come now to the Christian and then lead to outcomes. You get the blessing of the pure heart by coming to Jesus and repenting. And out of that, and it's it's both, um, well, we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's it's progressive, um, but it's also God washes away my sin. But out of that, we actually do get to see God. Because God actually does work in us and fashions our heart and remakes it. And it's never that I come before God and say, well, now I've got things to offer you. But it is, He really does cleanse us. So when we stand before God in the day of judgment, we will have the purity of heart that we need to be there. And it comes solely from Christ. But it is something that He works in me. So, uh, the pure heart comes from God. Let me just give you a couple promises from the New Covenant. Uh, If you want to just write these down, you can look them up later on your own. Ezekiel chapter 11, uh, verses 19 to 20. Um, How many times do people people go to Ezekiel? Uh, It's not a very popular book, but there's a lot of good stuff in Ezekiel. In fact, I've mentioned it now twice today. I did in the sermon this morning. Um, I'm I'm hankering to do something in Ezekiel here soon. Um, Ezekiel 11, verses 19 to 21. And I will give them, this is looking forward to the new covenant and and the restoration of God's people. I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, that I will put within them, excuse me, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. 
Now, it's not talking in physical terms there. It's talking in spiritual terms. Your heart in in your deadness to sin is like stone. And and we need a heart of flesh, a heart that is, is living. If he was talking in physical terms, we'd be like, what are you talking about? Because I already have a heart. I, I hope you all have hearts of flesh uh, th- this evening. If not, uh, well, maybe somebody had a heart transplant here that I don't, I don't know about. But, but uh, we all need hearts of flesh. But it's talking in spiritual terms, a heart that's alive, that's not dead in its sin. And, and the result will be that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Uh, that, by the way, is this great covenant union between God and his people, and it actually shows up again in Revelation uh, chapter 21 and 22, that I will be their God and they will be my people. Um, but as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. A picture of judgment. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And, he, and he's not talking about the ceremonial rituals that the Jewish people were used to. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will renew you, remove the heart of stone from your heart and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So how does this heart manifests itself, God's people start obeying God's law. God's Spirit writes the law of God in our hearts. Jeremiah 24, I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to the land, and I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. They shall be my people, and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You could translate this phrase, with all of their heart. It doesn't use the phrase purity of heart, but it's, it's sort of the same idea. They will have an undivided heart for God. And, and as Jeremiah's book goes forward, it, this leads to promises of the new covenant. Uh, this also, you know, the whole idea that in the new covenant, they will not say, know the Lord, but you will know the Lord, and you think of how some of this uh, works its way out in John 6, in, in 1 John, where, where John says, you don't need a teacher because you know the Lord. He, he's not actually saying you shouldn't have teachers in the church. Rather, he's saying when you're in the new covenant, you have the spirit that, that works in you. You don't need, they had people that were coming in from like a cult or something and saying, well, I've got the real secret knowledge, and, and if you don't have me as your teacher, uh, you're, you're outside. Uh, you'll remember when Jesus meets with Nicodemus, what does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do you remember what, what Jesus says to Nicodemus when Nicodemus doesn't understand these words? Yeah, yeah. Why does he say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
especially you know being amongst the Pharisees, they're they're going around bragging and setting themselves up as teachers. Where does this talk about being born again come from in Scripture? Yeah, yeah, Ezekiel. Particularly uh, when Jesus talks about being born of water and the Spirit, uh, a lot of times people will say, well, well, being born of water means being, you've got to be physically born first, and, and being born of the Spirit, you've got to be born then of the Holy Spirit. So, so thinking like two separate births being referred to here. I actually don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think he's clearly alluding to this Ezekiel 36 of you need to be cleansed with water. You need to be born of water. It's not talking about water as some kind of uh, allusion to amniotic fluid or something like that. It's, it's talking about you need to go through this cleansing of the heart and have the spirit put in you. Uh, and, and a lot of commentators point out that when Jesus says born again, it's kind of a, a double meaning there. It can also mean born from above. Now, now Nicodemus, obviously, he's really confused because he goes, well, how can I climb back into my mom's womb and ha- let this happen all over again? Which, which is sort of just a reminder, like Nicodemus doesn't get it. Being born again is about the Holy Spirit coming down. We're, we're born from above the work of the Spirit in us. Where does the pure heart come from? It comes from the working of the gospel inside of us where the heart is made alive through the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, that means it doesn't mean that we're 100% pure uh, the minute we're saved, but we are washed and clean, and we, we get the gift uh, of salvation and the ability to stand before God. Part of David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, do you remember what David says there? Create in me what? A clean heart. Yeah, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and with and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice there's a linking here between being clean in heart and being in the presence of, of the Lord. Cast me not away from your presence. Now, uh, at this point, obviously, I, David is already uh, saved. If we, can, we can put it in New Testament terms. He's already a believer. But even when he sins, there's, there's this idea of, I, I need to be restored, Lord. I need to be washed. You know, I, I'm saved, but, but continue to, to work your grace within me. Uh, bottom line is, even when we sin as a Christian, we should be repentant. We should continue uh, to seek the pure heart. Now, now, nothing can separate us from God. We can't lose our salvation. I don't think that's what David here at all is suggesting. I think more he, he also remembers the sin of Saul and how Saul lost the kingdom. And, and David knows that he's a sinner and guilty and could God has every right to take away the kingdom. Uh, and he's, he's repenting. And, and he's saying, you know, I need a clean heart to be in your presence, to fellowship with, with you. The believer, when they are saved, we are washed in the blood of Christ. But there are those ongoing sins that we stumble into that we need to ask God to cleanse us from. Not that we're not forgiven even before we do those things. We, we really are. But you don't want to get calloused about it, right? You know, Paul warns, you know, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. We, we don't want to just sit there and go, well, God's washed my heart and he's going to forgive every sin that I ever do, so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to, yeah, okay, I sinned. But, but it's, 
when I know God, when I've experienced him in prayer and, and enjoy fellowshipping with him, I don't want to lose that, that spiritual connection, that closeness of, of feeling. And so when I sin, I realize that, that this is disrupting my fellowship with God. And so I pray, you know, Lord, cleanse my heart. Keep working your grace in me. This is, th- what I have just done is, is so contrary to, to what you have done in, in salvation. And I know that. It's, it's not so much that if I don't re-ask God, he doesn't forgive me. You know, salvation is not like a light switch. You know, like sometimes I have it and then when I sin, you t- turn it off and I don't have it. And so then I got to go back and ask for it again and turn it on and turn it off and you know, like how your kids play with the light switches. And, no, it, it doesn't work like that, right? You don't lose our salvation when we, when we have one sin or, or a whole bunch of sins or when we stumble. Yet at the same time, we don't take the grace of God in a callous manner. We don't, oh, well, I'm just going to live however I want. It, it's not that we have to ask God to do it or I'm not forgiven. It's that My act of repenting, again, is acknowledging who I am. Saying before God, I really understand the gravity of what I've just done. It's it's transforming to me. It doesn't change God's mind. It doesn't mean, well, unless I come back and and say I'm sorry again, I'm, I'm not his child still. But it is about walking with him. It is about continuing to to the, the pure heart is at, at, at the same time it's something that we have by virtue of Christ cleaning us. It's also something we strive for by virtue of our fellowship and obedience to God. Continually coming back and saying, Lord, I've sinned again. I, I know where I'm a sinner. And, and the, the irony of, of salvation and Christian growth is sometimes the more mature we get in our in our salvation, the more we see just how bad our sins are. You know, sometimes we, I I kind of, I think, unintentionally used to think this way, like, kind of think, like, the more mature I get as a Christian, the less I'll feel sinful in my life. Sometimes it's the exact opposite, because God is exposing sins that that, that we're, we're coming into deeper communion with the Holy Spirit. And so my, my lack of purity, even though my sins are forgiven, the, the lack of purity that I regularly have just kind of becomes more apparent. I, I use this example quite a bit, so if, if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, you can dock my pay or something because I only have so many examples. But, but um, no, don't, don't dock my pay. No. Um, <laughs> I'll just have to spend more time coming up with better examples. But, but I use this because my wife always teases me that, that men, and myself in particular, we don't see dirt. Uh, so, so the Christian life, I think, is sometimes like, you know how you clean, you clean your room, you clean the living room. And uh, I always think of our living room up in the Poconos because it had all these weird angles where light would come in. And, and so you can go through and you can clean the room, right? And then you, yeah, she's just doing the air quotes. You can clean the room. Uh, and then you, you turn the light on. It, like, you, you stand there, and you can look at the room, and you go, wow, this room's pretty clean. And then you, then you turn the light on, or in my case, the wife comes home, and, and it's like, did you even do anything? You know? And, and then you, 
Then you move the couch, and you're like, oh, man, I thought this room was clean. It's, it's the same room it was exactly ten minutes ago. The dust hasn't become more. It's just you see more of it now. And so then you, then you clean that out. And then if you went, you got like, the, you ever see those painting lights, the portable lights that painters use to really shine on their walls? If you were to take those into your living room and really light it up, then you'd be like, oh my gosh, this room is even dirtier than I thought it was. Or you, you get down into a corner that you don't look in and you shine your flashlight in there and you see that, that spider web that was hiding in the shadows and you go, oh my word, this is even dirtier than I thought. By the way, pray for me tomorrow. I'm supposed to clean behind the fridge. So <laughs> I'm going to have to get out the light and be like, how dirty is this really? Um, but, but that is often the way it is with the Christian life. You, 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 you never get to a point where you say, wow, my sins, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. than." I mean, we see progress in our life. But sometimes we wonder, what is going on in my life that I feel all this extra guilt about my sin? Well, it's God exposing to you the lack of purity, and what he's really going to do to build this purity in you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dynamic, I think, of just how the spiritual life works. We, we should say this, that when you come to saving faith in Christ, your heart is cleansed. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it really does mean your sin is washed away. You are given the new heart. Uh, it's interesting that in Acts 15 when they're fighting over if Gentiles are really a part of, of the kingdom or really saved, this is what they say. Acts 15, 7 to 9. And, there, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So that's, that's sign one. How do we know they're saved? Well, they're getting all the blessings of the new covenant. They're getting the Holy Spirit. Uh, second, he says in Acts 15, 9, and there is no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. So there's no, there's no distinction in this salvation. And what does he do in salvation? He cleanses our hearts by faith. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our trust in him. We believe him. He forgives our sins. It's a real spiritual cleansing that goes on. We think about uh, the gift of Christ's righteousness that comes to us when we put our faith in him. Our sins are are put on Jesus. They've been paid for at the cross, but there's that... Uh, acknowledgement that Christ has taken my sin, in that moment of faith, what do I get from Christ? I get his righteousness imputed to me, which, which is just fancy language for saying it, it's transferred to my account. In that moment when I say, I'm saved, I am not righteous internally, but Christ's righteousness covers me. The imagery in Scripture is like putting on robes. I have what it takes now to stand before God. But also in doing that, the gift of the Spirit is given internally. And and so while I have over me the righteousness of Christ, I will also have over time working in me the, the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit to regularly renew me and develop new habits. And we call this sanctification. And, and we don't want to confuse 
the justification part and the sanctification part. Uh, this is sort of what Roman Catholics do. You're, you're, you don't know if you're ever totally saved because you've got to work out those things inside of you. And until you have it, you might not go to heaven or you might go to purgatory first. No, we say, no, 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 we have it. We're cleansed. We have the righteousness. But we also say the behavior is going to work itself out. We might say in another way, you know, positionally before God, he views me as if I'm pure, just as if I've never sinned. But at the same time, he views me positionally in Christ as that way. He also is working in me to make that a true reality. When I stand before God's presence in heaven, I will have, well, in the resurrection anyways, I'll have a glorified body. I will literally be pure. Now, I'll never come before God in Christ and say, well, I'm here because I finally did it on my own. I finally lived a good, solid Christian life. I will always come and say, Christ's righteousness saved me. And any working of goodness that has manifested itself in me, I'll give the credit to Christ and the Holy Spirit. But there will be this completion of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and I'll stand before God in complete purity. The pure person will see God. 1 Corinthians 6.11, after listing a whole bunch of sins of people that cannot inherit the kingdom of God, uh, including hot-button topics today like the homosexual, the drunkard, all of these these things. But it also says in, in chapter 6, verse 11, such were some of you but you were washed. You were sanctified. And and he speaks about it there in the past tense. And and I don't think that it does... I mean, you look at the Corinthian church and they still struggled with sin. Am I right? I mean, you look at your own life and, and we still struggle with sin. But there is this positional aspect of God really has cleansed me. He really has made me holy or sanctified me in Christ. He says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. A lot of other places we could cite. You see this in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We we focus on it a lot because of what it says about marriage, but you'll notice in the middle of that, it talks about Christ dying to, quote, sanctify her, having cleansed her by a washing of water with the Word, so that He may present her present the church to himself in splendor without spot, without wrinkle, uh, or any such thing, so she might be holy and without blemish. That, that is the purity that comes to me through the work of Christ. And when I get to that wonderful wedding feast of the Lamb, the reason I am there is because Christ has, as my husband, done this for me and given me this white dress of purity that I need. But Ephesians can also say to us, Paul can also say in Ephesians, you guys live in the Christian life now. You've got to pursue purity. You've got to walk in these ways. This is what Christ has done. Now go out and, and, and work at acting like it. Because his salvation is manifesting itself in you. So, so it's not this, well, Christ has saved me, so I don't have to do anything in my Christian life, and I don't have to even try to walk in holiness because I'll never get there anyways. 
It's also not like the Pharisees. Well, like if I just walk in enough holiness, then I'll be holy. But it is this. Christ has done all these things. Now, therefore, through the power of the Spirit, go and live this way. And, and I think in our, in our day and age, even in evangelical circles, we, we are scared to talk about purity and godly living. I think primarily for two reasons. One, we, we have the old bugaboo of, of the Pharisees particularly those of us that grew up in the churches. And we joke about here at the Bible Fellowship Church, you know, 30, well, 40 or 50 years ago, you know, like roller skating and movies were, were unholy. And so we, we joke about some of those, that legalistic tendency. But it, it's very real. And, and we're right to avoid that. But by avoiding that, we don't swing out so far the other way that we say, well, we're not, we, we don't want to be legalists, so we'll never talk about real holiness. I mean, the problem with this kind of thinking over here was, we made holiness about outward things. Like, do you go to movies? Do you hang out with people who, who go to movies? You know, uh, has alcohol ever touched your life? I'm not talking about drunkenness. I'm saying, like, did you ever smell wine? Shame on you. You, you know, you're a sinner. Uh, did, you, did you roller skate, I guess, was the big one for a while. And uh, dancing, uh, you know, you can't, you can't, even honorable, decent dancing, we can't do that because that's, you know, so, so the danger is to, to move from outward to say, well, I'm never going to talk about holiness, which is kind of where I think we are now in the culture, where it's like, well, if you say any kind of warning about don't live this way, well, you're just being judgmental. If you say, well, a Christian shouldn't do this, you're, you're just being legalistic because they need to, they, I'm talking to Christians here, that, well, they need to know that they're saved in Christ. Well, well that's certainly true. And, and our motivation comes out of being in Christ. But at the same time, we, we shouldn't be afraid to say the Holy Spirit writes the law of God in our hearts. And, and in theological categories, they call this the third use of the law. Uh, there's the first use, which is how the law was used in the Old Testament to, to establish the nation. Uh, there's the second use, when, when, a, when a sinner needs to see that they're a sinner, you, you say, well, this is a command of God, this is where you broke it. Uh, the third use, as we kind of just break these categories up, is... You give the law to a believer. You can say to a believer, God's word says don't do this, therefore don't do this. That's not being legalistic. Now you can do that in legalistic ways, but in and of itself it's not legalistic to say, hey, we need to pursue purity. We need to be concerned about about how we're acting. And it has to come from the inside, right? It can't just be... Um, as long as I clean the outside, as long as everybody here at church thinks I'm good because I show up on time and, and I, you know, I don't use bad words in church and I'm very peaceable and respectable. And it can't just be that outside kind of thing. But at the same time, it has to be real and genuine. So I'm, I'm really rambling here, but Ephesians 5 says this, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, so there is that... This is what Christ has done. And now he's going to give the moral side of what we should do in response. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So what does it look like when a believer has a pure heart? It's not just saying, well, I'm in Christ, so all my sins are forgiven. That, that, is, that is true. Our heart is cleansed. But love and faith and peace and fleeing of passions and sexual immorality, um, sinful passions it, it's talking there about, obviously, all of these things are how, over time, the, these things, as he says, they, they issue from a pure heart. They, they overflow from a heart that's experienced this, this cleansing power. Uh, Jesus says, you know, a, a good seed produces good fruit, and a bad seed produces bad fruit. The manifestation of the pure heart will bear itself out in the behavior of, of the individual. Uh, this is why, you know, we, we reject that idea of uh, as long as you've prayed the sinner's prayer, you're saved. It doesn't matter how you live. Go on out and do whatever you want. Well, we're not saying you're saved by how you live after you confess. But we are saying when there's been real transformation, when there's been this real cleansing of the heart over time, and, and I'm not saying everybody's perfect all at once, uh, or that it's not a struggle, or that Christians don't struggle with trying to, to live right. But over time, you should see some progress. And we don't just run out there and be like, oh, I don't think you're a Christian because you, you know, you said a bad word. You lost your temper one time. Maybe you're not saved. You know, it's not like that. But, but it is just this warning of, as you look at your life, what, what does purity of heart look like? It's not just a positional status, but it's the positional status over time manifests itself in the behavioral change. Purity of heart will live itself out in life. Um, I was going to say a lot more about only the pure in heart will see God. Let me just highlight a couple things real quick. You'll remember a number of times uh, in Scripture where like Moses goes up onto the mountain and, and nobody else is allowed to come up and see God. And even when Moses asks to see God's glory face to face, Moses says, you know, no man can see it and live. There is this separation that we have from seeing the glory of God. And it's primarily because of sin. Sin separates us from God. Well, the great hope of the gospel is what am I going to do in, in the new heavens and the new earth? The, the glory of God descends and, and we don't even need a sun because the glory of God will radiate. And we don't... We don't need a temple in, in terms of like having walls to protect us from the glory of God. You think of that imagery of how through Christ's death, you think about how the, the, um, the curtain is torn because we can go into God's presence now. Well, well, even more, it's like we don't need any of the temple because now the glory of God can just radiate all around us because we're, we're so pure that we can be in the presence of God for all eternity. And, and so John says in, in John chapter 3, says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So we're not pure yet. We're not like him yet in our, in our entirety. But as we hope in him, we, we are being purified. We are being saved, as Scripture can talk about salvation as both past tense, present tense, and future tense. So God is, is working in us. But then when he comes, we'll actually see him like he is. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we today take everything that we've said about the purity in heart and how do you apply it? Like, what does it mean to you to be pure at heart? And where are some ways that all of us can be better at being pure in heart? And this time I don't have all night because, you know, there's a... How can, what are some ways that we can be better at being pure in heart? Keeping in mind that in this life we, we never totally arrive, obviously. Yeah, John. Yeah, I think I think integrity is a huge thing, and, and integrity has been defined as as being um, being the same in private when you're by yourself as you are in public, uh, and and that assumes that you're good in both places. Uh, but but you know, and, and for me, you know, I, I grew up in in a Christian home in in the church, was in church all my life, and and it's really easy to get in habits of going to church and doing the things that you know will make people at church happy. Um, I, w- I was that nerdy kid that when we were in youth group, you know, we had these like read your Bible assignments during the week and you would you would bring in your little notebook and show them what you did. And, and I always had it done. And, and, you know, God really used the word of God in my life. But honestly, there were times where I was doing it more because of the approval of man than of the I really want to commune with God here in, in reading my Bible. And, and in some ways, that's not walking in integrity. I, I don't know that I was being totally duplicitous all the time, but it, it certainly worked. There were seasons of my life where it was kind of like it's easier to fake it and have people think I'm a really good Christian than to actually work at praying and repenting of the sins that I have and being concerned with how I'm living my life the other, the other six days of the week. What else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't be afraid to, to pray those prayers. We shouldn't be afraid to have that, that regular communion uh, with God. Um, 
know, I think sometimes, too, uh, another thing that we can do is it helps sometimes to have people that you trust or people that you can talk to that can, that can encourage you with sins you're struggling with or, or you can ask them honestly, you know, uh, have you seen a change in my life or, you know, wh- where, where would you say some of my weaknesses are? Or I, I think you need to have people in your life um, that know you well enough that, that would, will know when you're acting one way on a Sunday or in front of other Christians and another way uh, in, in your own uh, private life. Um, obviously, purity at heart is something you never get to in this life. But that doesn't mean you, know, you don't run the race. It doesn't mean we just say, well, I'm never going to get there anyway, so, so why bother trying? Because, because part of the grace of God is we really do grow in holiness. I mean, there really can be, and I'm not talking about in a stuck-up, pharisaical way. You know, the more holy you're becoming, the more humble you should also be becoming. But, but we really can make progress in, in the Christian life. Things that when we first got saved, we, we had no trouble doing now bother us. Or, or things that we would have never thought of doing, we now do as, as natural habits of kindness, of love, of, you know, of, of whatever it might be. Some, for some people, you know, it's, it's their temper. You know, it's easy to, to lose uh, your cool real quick. And over time, part of growing in holiness can just mean you have patience. Uh, you're sensitive now. You're kind now. There really can be, and, and we shouldn't lose sight of this. God isn't just waiting till the day that He returns to make us new. He's renewing us even now and, and moving us along. And, and I think there should be this desire to continue to grow. Um, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be neat that if we so grow in our holiness? That when we die and go into the presence of the Lord, there's not really a whole lot that God has to take care of. And I don't mean that in a selfish or arrogant way. But, but imagine if, if just God's glory has so worked its way out in your life in terms of practical holiness that you stepping out of this body and, and into the presence of the Lord is, is really just shedding your earthly body because he has so prepared you. In, in practical holiness. Wherever you are as a believer when you die, you, you'll make that transformation instantly, right? Um, and, and I think for all of us, we, we will be not only so glad, we will say, man, I still had so many more sins that God could have done. But, but, but imagine just if your friends and family that are here looking at you just see this as a, they were ready for glory because they had just been by the grace of God, manifesting holiness. And they knew Christ. And they knew that they were saved only because of Christ. But man, they were walking with God. And they were holy when they stepped into the presence of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your love. We thank you for the grace that we have in you. 
just even remind us as we think about these things tonight, even this purity of heart, it's not something that we have on our own. It's not something that we can whip up and, and stir up in our lives. Even, even as Christians, the, the way that we live in purity is by depending upon you every step of the way and asking you to cleanse us. And, and so, Lord, even as we think about the need to behave in certain ways and act in certain ways and in consistency with our professions of faith, oh, Lord, help us to trust you and rely on you, that we would walk in, in genuine holiness and genuine godliness of lifestyle, that it would not be merely outward signs, it would not be merely an external keeping of rules, that we could manifest holiness and, and, and live in a way that honors you with genuine love, with genuine uh, faith and, and joy and hope, Lord. Uh, we just ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen.